It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. Hello there. This is Denise Michaels, and I am here with Lee Barrett. And we are uh, had a little meeting before the meeting, but now we're uh, shifting to talk about Chapter 5 in the book, um, which is Build Up Reserves of Money and Energy. So anyway, you ready to rock and roll? Absolutely. Okay, cool. All right. So our topic on uh, Chapter 5 is all about building up reserves of money and energy, which makes a lot of sense because the economy goes up and down and things happen and everything. And the first subchapter heading you have here, um, Lee, is it says, always have reserves to run your business for six months with no income coming in. So um, for the millennial just getting started, that may sound like, you know, a challenging goal, but Talk about why it's important and um, how they can get there. Well, it's important to um, have reserves for twofold reasons. Some people work really well under pressure, and so if their reserves get low, they tend to go out and work harder. Um, most people need a security, a feeling of security. So what they do is by setting that money aside, they give themselves a comfort level that they can pay themselves the same amount of money that they're spending or what's budgeted for them without really um, putting themselves in in any kind of distress. So you have two personality types. You have one that likes to be in distress, and you have one that doesn't like to be in distress. And so when you're looking at budgeting, some people that don't care about distress may only have a month or two of of money set aside, and other people may have six months to 12 months set aside because it makes them feel comfortable. Psychologically, when you're in, in sales, you have to make sure that you feel comfortable. That's the most important thing, and that you can practice without the concern of having to make that money. A friend of mine years ago used to say that you you create commission breath when you need money. And you never want the consumer or the client to feel as if they have um, uh, they have that, uh, that type of agent, somebody that needs to make the money versus somebody that wants to help them through the process. And getting paid is just part of that servicing. So... Uh, you know, like everybody else, real estate agents have to make an income on a normal basis, and we want to make sure that they set that money aside so that they can possibly get through that and not have that problem. So if a person um, has that six months set aside, you know, um, and is it Hold on for just a second, can you? Can you hold for just a second? Hold. Sure. I'm sorry. I just had to make a decision on a roof. Okay. All right. Sorry. Decision made, huh? Yes. Yeah, good. Um, so if a person has that six months' worth of income decide, you know, like set aside and everything, and they need to keep sort of their motivation level up, you know, because it's like, oh, I don't have to really, you know, put out a – I'm not going to use that terminology. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it just came it out sounded, of me, It sounds you know? good, though, yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you know what I mean? It, it, I do. It's like if, if – 
someone yeah. has that income set aside, how do they keep themselves motivated and pumped up and working well, at goes, the same that goes, level? That, that goes back to their structure. That goes back to the systems that we originally talked about. Okay. They have to, the, 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 the system is that they, they have a goal. The goal leads to a system. System leads to act, activity. So if they don't have a goal, then they don't have any motivation. And if they don't have any motivation, they don't set um, standards for everyday work patterns. And those work patterns are allowed to be interrupted because they they don't do what they need to do. And that's I think the last time we talked, we talked about a book by Joel Olson. Um, the Slight Edge. The Slight Edge. And in The Slight yeah. Edge, he talks about the 95-5. And the mm-hmm. people that are disciplined when they don't need to be, but they are disciplined anyway, and the people that find other excuses not be disciplined. So it's right. kind of, it kind of goes back to that mindset of, of his book in saying that if you if you set up systems and you work the systems, and things will come to you because they just do, because you're engaged. Um, mm-hmm. So to keep people on this process, even though they have the reserve, they have to act, they have to mentally act like they don't have it. But... Right. It's having a system because if they have a system and they budget, then the money is the, the the money is just there to support the budget, not necessarily to tell them they can't work. It's just to say these hard costs are always going to be covered for the next six months. Right. Does that makes sense. So, yeah, absolutely. And you talk about the you said there were two kinds of people. There are the people who are like motivated and driven by the fact that they have to make the money. Correct. And then you said there are those that kind of get a little freaked out because they don't have the security. And I've, so, had, both, and I've had both of them. I've had, I've yeah. had both, both quality of people. And both quality of people are unique unto themselves because the person that gets freaked out because they don't have any money really is on the edge of having the entrepreneurial spirit because the entrepreneurial spirit says, I can make it. Just, just let me go out and do it. I could make it where the other is so usually been driven by a employment uh, experience, where they actually have been in a job for a long time, and somebody tells them what to do and how to do it. And so when somebody says you're free, go do it, then it's a more it's more complicated for them to get used to being they're driven on their own on their own actions. Right. And we've talked about having that discipline in place right. when, you know, I mean, you work in an office, but it's your own business. Right. 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 Okay. Good. Good, good. All right. Um, next thing here is it says 2006, you know, was the Great Recession, right? Saw the start of the real estate market decline. And I know both in my life and in your life, we've seen more than one you know, real estate ups and downs over the years. Right. And um, you said start adjusting overhead. You you started over adjusting your overhead costs so your business could ride out the storm. Right. So, oh, why, Sage, can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, there, there, there's, there's, signs that, um, there's signs that you need to, need to get prepared for it. And those signs are when, um, when other people are contracting, that are bigger than you. Um, when bigger companies start to contract, uh, you see the news that they're starting to do things that um, that are not um, are, are are not um, um, not normal for the business model. 
and you start to you, you, there's a sense that you get that the um, that the economy is changing. As an example, recently 2006, we started to see we had banner years in real estate between about 2000, um, 2004 to about 2007. But in 2006, things were just getting to the point where they were not they were not sustainable. So uh, in real estate, when when values go up so substantially, or when interest rates uh, uh, became um, so uh, so low, that there's things that are going to cause both of those things to change. But I just started to feel that the buyers were not feeling as confident because there's more product coming on the market. And then we saw 2007. So. In the summer of 2006, I started to make the adjustment. By 2007, 2008, we started to see a different type of real estate market that was affecting real estate agents and their and their ability to make money. So, the, yeah. to, to answer your question, I think that you look at both national and local trends, and you tend to say to yourself, "Do I need to spend money on something that?" is maybe going to be a longer commitment than I'm willing to make. Is it going to give me the return I want to make with ROI? Yeah, without any um without any long-term contracts that would put me in a position where I, you know, I had so many friends that went into financial distress because they had made uh commitments on on uh leases that were not sustainable. They were only sustainable when the times were good. If there's an adjustment in how many closings they were getting and the average sales price, which went down, because our average sales price had gone up to 330000 then our average sales price went down to seventy five, a hundred, hundred twenty five thousand. Right. So, you know, everything, everything has a, a – everything's in relationship. So you just got to have a um, – you got to be paying attention. You got to have a sixth sense to start to contract a little bit, even if it's just a little bit. And a perfect example of this was my cleaning crew. I used to have my cleaning crew come in twice a week. And I went to them and I said, look, the market's starting to change. And this was in the summer of 2006. I said, I'd really appreciate it because my, cleaning my office was costing me about $600 a month. And I said, can we drop it to 300 and just have you do it once a month? Oh, yeah, that's fine. And I did the same thing with my landscaper. I did. I I, I intentionally went to people that um, that I, I wanted to start off with just making minor adjustments, and then I was able to look at some other contracts that were more of a financial commitment and start to contract those a little bit too. I was contracting before people were contracting. You know, you kind of put your finger up in the wind to pay attention to what's coming down the pike. Absolutely. And you know that's that ability. To kind of predict trends, right. you know, right, which yeah, which absolutely. is incredibly valuable. Um, well, it keeps, uh, what you, it, it keeps you from going bankrupt. Right, right. Well, what I'm noticing is that your first contractions or your first cuts into your budget were not in marketing costs. No, you know, it was the cleaner, it was the landscaper. Hard, hard costs. Yeah, thing, things of that nature, whereas, I mean, what I very, very often hear is when people start feeling like the economy is contracting and the buyers aren't out there, the first thing they start cutting is advertising and marketing. Right, which is reverse logic. Right, 
reverse logic because you got to keep out there. So the things you can things you can take care of right away that make a small impact allow you to still be able to do your marketing. Yeah, great, 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 great save there for me. That's exactly what it is. You, you, right. you look at hard you look at you look at hard costs that you can adjust versus taking yourself out of the business. Okay. Not doing marketing would take you out of the business. Right. Right. So when you say you made um, adjustments in marketing, can you give me an example? Well, you know, we had um, at that time we were we were still involved with um, with home pages, um, where uh, electronic hadn't become as big an issue as it is now. You know, advertising electronically, and so um, we would do um, ads in homes magazines um, and have a substantial influence on. You know, we'd have you know five or six pages in the Homes magazine, and uh, each page was like I think two hundred fifty dollars. Well, I started to cut down on that a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'd start to go down to four pages, and then three pages, and then two, and then finally one. So, but you were still visible. I was visible. You know, right? Yes. I absolutely. mean, that's that's the important thing. You absolutely. were still visible there. So, anyway, that's important. So. Tell me, like, how do you develop that ability to kind of predict what's coming down the pike before it happens? Because in 2006, I'll tell you what, there were a lot of people who were still really flying high. Yeah. Um, It's just, you know, kind of going back to that, you know, I think in our first couple of chapters explaining my experience with my dad and everything. My dad was a... uh, post-depression baby, um, born in 1925. And so um, that era, that silent generation, they tended to be, um, they tended to be um, conservative almost to the point of ridiculous, but he wasn't. He, was a, he, was a, he would go out and, and pull the trigger, but he would, always, he would always think about the total outcome. And so he he looked at a decision in a, in a 360 degree or as much of a 360 degree vision as he could. So what would be the positive, the negatives, and the two or three different outcomes to it? And then he lessened his risk because he was able to say, I feel comfortable that this won't happen, and I feel comfortable that this won't happen. So therefore, the one that that this is going to happen would be the one that helped him decide what he was going to have to do. And believe me, he made some mistakes, but the the ability to be able to say to yourself, you know, there's something going on, let's look at it, let's analyze it. So his decisions were very um, methodical. And right. I learned to to watch those because as a, a business owner, you know, we would, you know, some sometimes we'd have steak, sometimes we'd have beans. You know? Right. So as a business owner, I learned to watch that my dad would contract and still be able to feed us, you know, when he was first starting, you know, steak to beans was was uh, sometimes the the reality, but then later he was just bought a different quality of steak. Mm-hmm. So, sure. You know, you know sure. The, rea- the reality is you tend to get you you tend to start to get in flow with with your, you know, you don't you don't get um, what term am I looking for? You don't get awed by what everybody else is doing. You tend to look at it realistically and say, "Is this sustainable? Can this happen?" And then he was really good at that. He was good at um, he was good at creating that that um, 
that total mindset of making decisions versus just going with the flow and doing what everybody else is doing because it looked good. So rather than saying, well, everybody else is doing this, so it must be the right thing to do, Correct. it's like looking a little bit more independently and saying, well, what does my wisdom tell me? What is my, you know, everything I'm reading and checking out and looking at and observing, what does that tell me? Absolutely. And I think yeah. that's, I think, I, I think you, you don't get caught up, excuse me, you don't get caught up in the greed. You don't right. get caught up in, in the enthusiasm. You get caught up in, am I going to have a sustainable business? Right. How am I going to right. keep how am I going to keep this going if something goes wrong? And so you analyze the getting going wrong part too. Nobody ever right. wants to look at the going wrong part. They want to look at, oh, well, this is great. I can get 14% return on my money, and this is fantastic. But what's the risk if I'm getting 14%? There's got to be a risk if somebody's willing to pay me 14% on giving them money to buy an investment property. That's why we had so many people, you know, they wanted that that greed became such a big issue that they they couldn't see the forest because of the trees because the big G word got in their way. You know, I've heard it said more than once that the millennials are probably going to be pretty conservative, like the Depression era kids. You know that were our parents, I think right? I, I think they're going to. I think they saw. Uh, the closest thing to a Great Depression, I think they saw the Great Recession. Right. And I think right. they, you know, they either had parents that that made it through it, or they had parents uh, that were um, were just, um, you know, fly by the seat of their pants. Right. Well, I mean, they've seen their parents, you know, get laid off, and Absolutely. now, I mean, it used to be if you if you you know were looking for a job, you could find something in a couple of weeks. Now right. they say plan on at least six months, right. you know, which is another good reason to have six months no matter what you're doing in I'll life, reserve, that's right. um, you know, because of that. But, you know, I remember my mom saying, you know, well, your grandpa was never unemployed, but you saw it in the next door neighbors and the people down the block and right. the kids you went to school with and things like that. Well, that my, my same situation, my grandfather was an entrepreneur, so when when people couldn't afford to get their hair cut and they were cutting their own hair, he got into the furniture-making business, and he did anything that could make him money. Right. So you really come from kind of a long tradition of entrepreneurs. Yeah. 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 My, my yeah. grandfather in Seattle owned uh, six barbershops yeah. at one time. So, yeah, he was a – yeah. Okay. All right. So the next thing here on our outline is it says having the physical energy needed to complete the plan. You said you don't have to be an athlete, but you know you can keep going when you need to. There's got to be a well of reserve. You've got to train yourself. Um, you've got to train yourself mentally to um, to when it's easy for your physical body to get tired. Because people don't realize real estate agents get tired. You're in and out of your car with the client, maybe 10, 15, 10, 10 homes a day, uh, going up and down stairs and doing all that stuff. It doesn't seem that physical. But what's happening is there's two minds going on at the same time. Um, the first mind is that you're carrying on a conversation because you have to carry on a conversation. And the second mind that's going on, so imagine a left brain, right brain. The other side of the brain is saying, am I doing the right thing? Am I finding them the right home? What signs should I be looking for that tells me that this is not the right home? 
what questions should I be asking them to find out what will help them through the process of finding the right home. And so the left brain, you know, the, the one part of the brain is just having the conversation. The other side of the brain is actually saying to them, by the way, let's ask this question and see if we can get a response to it because it's going to help us find the right home for them. And doing all that while climbing two flights of stairs. Yeah, and, and, and trying to keep, carry on a, uh, a logical conversation without drooling. You know, it's, it, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's you know, it's, other forms of sales are different because they're with them for a limited amount of time. We're with them for two or three days at a time. As an example, I've got some clients from California coming in today at 10 o'clock. We were out for five hours yesterday, but I never left the office for the first two because I, I wanted them to see the process because they hadn't bought in a while. And I wanted to remind them of what the process was, and I wanted them to wanted them to help me make the decisions on what properties they were going to select to look at. So what they authored, they believed because they authored it. You know, I didn't, I didn't have five or six homes ready for them and say, let's go out and look without starting a conversation, finding out why they needed different rooms and why they wanted a floor plan like that. Then when we got to the first house, which happened to be a new one, we spent about an hour, hour and a half in the house because I wanted them, that they fell in love with the first house, so I wanted to find out if there's going to be more homes What's the feature that's really going to stand out to them? And in their particular situation, because there's just two of them, it's a great room mentality versus having significant side rooms, like having a family room, a living room, all those things. It was having this big room that they could just enjoy and have everything in one place. What What do you think are some of the best ways that people can either – you know, I would I would say the best word is how do they sort of develop that? Um, the word I'm thinking is endurance. You know, it's like a physical and mental endurance to keep going through, you know, a whole day spent with a client. They need to um, first first and foremost they have to eat well. You know, I'm not the best person for that either, but they have to eat well. And and what they have to do is they have to keep their mind sharp. And so keeping their mind sharp, they need to learn some questions. They need to ask questions so that, and learn how to ask better questions uh, that would help them get through those, um, those opportunities. So say as an example, yesterday when I sat down with this family and I started asking them questions, um, I saved myself probably two or three hours by qualifying things that they had told an associate of mine that didn't necessarily uh, were not the focal points of their decision making, and so you yeah, always want to ask very good qualifying questions and just good questions in general. Because now, uh, when you ask um, closed-in questions, which mean that they can answer with a yes or no, those are not good questions because now you're not gaining any information. But if you if you ask open-ended questions, and those open-ended questions tend to make people um, open up and share. And if you can learn to just be quiet and listen to them, you're going to get more insight because you're not you're not talking while they're trying to talk. And so you know, I heard that old saw this morning. We've we've heard it a million times. You know, God gave us two ears and one mouth for yeah, a reason, absolutely. so that we listen twice as much. Yeah. So, um, and when it comes to you know, learning the right questions to ask and learning good closing questions. 
um, that are open-ended rather than closed-ended, you know, the yes or no kind of questions. Would you say that training is incredibly valuable to kind of keep them on the path to improve that? Training is huge. And practice. You know, know, a football team, we're going to be playing the Super Bowl in two weeks. And... uh, the uh, the training that takes, you know, just because they're in a Super Bowl now, they're not not training. They're training even harder because they want to win the final game. But, you know, professional athletes will train 40, 80 hours a week. You know, like a boxer might train 80 hours a week for a fight that's going to be three months from now. Right. So everybody says, well, why is he training so hard? Because if he doesn't get prepared physically, if he doesn't get prepared mentally, so the boxer trains for the endurance so he's in there to say if it goes 12 rounds i can physically go 12 rounds but he's also there for the mental part because then they start changing up his training right before the fight about two or three months before the fight and they put somebody in there that fights similar to the person that they're fighting meaning if he's a southpaw meaning he fights left-handed they'll put a left-handed person in there they don't want somebody throwing punches right-handed because then he won't be used to that so it becomes that you practice deliberately. You know, um, I've read some books about athletes and, you know, uh, Michael Jordan. Um, anybody that's become a superstar has um, uh, Tiger Woods. They've all practiced deliberately, which means that they know how to practice, but then they practice deliberately. As an example with Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods wanted to improve his short game. So he would go hit long balls for a while. And then he'd go hit his short game, and he'd spend more time on his short game that particular day than maybe for months because he wanted to get that perfected so he knew which tool to use to get to the right level, how many how many, feet, how many yards it went. So he was in a position that he needed to get to someplace in. It was only 50 yards. He didn't grab the wrong club. He grabbed the club that would help him because he knew how to hit it to that distance. Does that make sense? It makes sense, yeah. So, is there is there particular training that you want to recommend on, on, in the book or not? Or yeah, there's a there's a um, there's actually a book uh, by uh, Thomas Fries called Question Based Selling, and it has nothing to do has zero zero to do with real estate or anything. It just has ways to ask people better questions. It like has 145 different ways to ask open-ended questions. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. I might check that out. It's a really good mm-hmm. book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the name of the author once more? Dave, um, Freeze, F-R-E-E-Z-E. Okay. Okay, good. And um, so, yeah, so that sounds like valuable training. Within real estate, is there valuable training that you would recommend for Uh, people? Yes. In real estate, what they would need to do is think of the um, normal concerns that both buyers and sellers have. Um, Some people might call them objections, but the concerns, you know, when somebody's not sold, they're they're, they're not sold because you haven't answered all their concerns. And so the concerns that they have are the things you need to answer. So Think of the concerns people have. Why am I paying you so much? Um, so commission issues. Um, why should I buy this home or why should I not buy this home? And be able to help people through the process. And people yesterday were all ready to buy a home. But I said to them, we, we need to look at more homes. 
but more importantly, we need to go look at the home in the state that it's not in right now, which means it was a model. And let's go look at where the lot is going to be and everything else. And when we went to look at the lot, we realized that even though there was a nice separation between one neighborhood and another neighborhood, this was a single-story house. All the houses behind it were two-story, so there wasn't any privacy for them. And one of the things they wanted was a private backyard. That's why we looked at this lot, because there was a, distance, there was a gap between the two neighborhoods, which was a wash that was a very deep wash, but it would have been a big enough gap if all the rest of the houses on the side were single-stories. But they weren't. They were all two mm-hmm. stories. So in terms of, you know, this this endurance, you know, both in terms of your brain and your physical self, you know, let's say we've got our brand-new millennial realtor here and she's got someone who said, yes, I'll work with you, help me find a house, you she's know. She's going to have all those things except the mental. She's going to she, have all the physical endurance. Right. But she's not going to have the mental endurance. She's not going to... Yeah, she's going to robotically go through it versus if she asks those questions, she's going to shorten her time period up of having of working with the people, but more importantly, she's going to be able to qualify their needs quicker. She's going to be able to, um, if she learns how to ask better questions, she's going to, um, she's not going to, um, a lot of people in sales say something like buyers or liars. They're not liars. Nobody's asking the right question. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a good point. She's got, what what a millennial would need to do is practice, and and not necessarily practice with live people, but practice in practice groups. Um, uh, find somebody that will allow her to practice some of her qualifying questions. So somebody's not even real estate, so it doesn't sound canned. It doesn't sound um, artificial when she says it. Mm-hmm. What do you a lot think? Of people teach them, a lot of teach them. A lot of people teach them um, uh, scripts, but uh, a friend of mine that's an instructor said scripts. Um, scripts are like listening to classical music. Historically, you know, if everything goes perfect, the script will work. But real life is not a, not scripted. So somebody's not going to ask you a question that you've studied and studied and studied and you're waiting for them to respond the right way. So real estate or, or real life is more like jazz, where people come in and out of conversations. Right. So let's say we got our millennial agent, and she's got somebody who says, you know, yes, help me find a house. Okay. Right. And they scheduled to spend an afternoon together looking at homes. Okay. Right. What does our millennial agent need to do to prepare for that afternoon? Which he would um, have to do is have in, uh, have done some research and be prepared that she knows there's product out there that fits the consumer's needs. She needs to uh, be prepared but not overly prepared for that. She needs to set up some qualifying questions either that she has memorized or, or studied or she has to put a, a list together that she would ask similar as if she had gone to seek counsel from an attorney where the attorney would sit down and do the 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 pre uh pre litigation type situation. And then she needs to be prepared to uh let the customer make the decision. So she lays out the the process and tells them where they're gonna go and then um she 
gets on the computer because she knows the product that's out there and starts to ask some qualifying questions to say, is this what, is this what I heard before? And they say yes. And so um, they all start to narrow it down because this is going back to the selection process versus the, the visual process of letting them visualize it because if they visualize it, then they, then they created it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So let's say you came by and I wanted to show you some homes. If I already had them selected and said, okay, let's ready to go, um, you, you may think there's other properties out there that I haven't found. But if you're sitting in front of me and we go from 800 homes that would fit your needs throughout the valley down to 600 homes, down to 400 homes, down to 80 homes, down to 13, down to 5, then you wouldn't have any question that we had um, looked at everything potentially possible for you. Because we saw the process of elimination. We saw the process. And so right. the importance for her is to help these clients, which are 67 to 69% of all buyers are visual learners. And so, you know, you got to understand the learning process. So you're talking to them, which means they're auditory learners, about 15% of auditory learners. So you're only, you're only getting that 15% of their mind to kick in because the rest of them are going to be visual learners. So if you, you don't have anything for them to look at, you're not laying things out to talk to them about. You're not having them watch the computer as you do it. Because now the trust issue becomes, you know, in the speed of trust by Stephen Covey, he says that 68% of Americans, if I'm not mistaken that number, 68% of Americans distrust anymore because of Enron and other things like that. And so if you show them, you're proving to them so they trust you faster. And so all those things create an opportunity for her in that initial meeting, which should be anywhere between 45 minutes and an hour and a half, a lot less time actually out in the field because now she's qualified them. They feel comfortable that they've narrowed down the properties. So if there's only five homes for them to look at, when they look at the five, they're not questioning in the back of their mind, I wonder if there's something else. That I'm missing or something. That I'm missing, yeah. That they didn't show me. Because (laughs) you were right in front of them. They got to see it. Right, right. Did that used to happen? Were they, you know, questioned before? No, we just selected the properties and we go out and show them and you know, it's a it's a process because our buyers changed. Our our right. our, our buyers changed because they distrust. How has um, uh, websites like you know Zillow and Realtor dot com and I think anybody can have access to MLS now. Well, you know, it used yeah, to be well, very secret. Yeah, they can go through a real estate broker's website and stuff like that. Uh, How has that impacted the business? Well. Because we used to be the gatekeepers. We used to be the gatekeepers of the information. And now we're not the gatekeepers of the information. The information is out there. Is it always accurate? No. Is it always good information? No. But it's out there. And so what you have to do is you have to become the interpreter. So you have to be the person that's able to get them through the process that they started on their own, which is, I think I know the market, but I am not sure to here's what the market's doing. And so in that initial meeting, and thank you for bringing up, in that initial meeting, we would actually go over statistical data to show them what the market's doing. Again, visually, from the mobile listing service, here's where we're at. We also, in our office, we do something called absorption rate, which means that we'd actually show them, you know, on the average, how long a home in the valley 
would take to sell? Um, you know, it would, it would have a three-month life uh, where it would be active two months, and that dictates what type of market you're in, and it tells the consumer if they're in a buyer's or seller's market. Like right now, we're in a seller's market in Las Vegas, meaning we have a lack of we have a lot of properties, but we have a lack of inventory, but we have overpriced properties. So you could actually list a piece of property, put it at a higher price, even though you're in a seller's market, and never sell it. So hmm. every, everything is price-oriented. Mm-hmm. So okay. it's, that whole, it's that whole mentality of trying to get them to, to understand the market. Because now what I teach people, I say, when somebody says, how's the market, you need to ask a specific question. What market are you talking about? Right. At some points, we had a market that was a foreclosure market. Sometimes we had a market that was a short sale market. Now we're in a traditional market. So people need to ask that. And people know if they're more, in, more informed. So how it's changed over the last 38 years I've practiced is if they're more informed, they need more, uh, they meet, need more direction in what the process is because so, they, they've already made uh, a decision mentally before they get to you. Right. So that, you know, question-based selling, I mean, you just did it right there. Right. You know, instead of just like jumping in and saying, oh, this is happening, that happening, it's like, which market are you talking about? Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good, good. All right. Okay. The last item as far as um, your subheadings here is, um, and and we kind of mentioned this really briefly, is kind of directed towards the millennials because you may have grown up seeing your parents get laid off and you can't get out uh, laid off in real estate, but markets can certainly change. Right. So you, so going back to the first part where you have a reserve, if you're that type of mentality, the reserve gives you confidence as an entrepreneur that you have backup. But going back to the very first part of the book where we've been talking about goals and everything else, at this point, all that initial four chapters before this has got them prepared for this part of the book by saying you have to have your systems in place. You have to, you have to go to work every day. You know, Real estate is a business where it's easy to play hooky. It's really easy to play hooky because a lot of agents say, "Oh, it's oh, writing." <laughs> I, yeah, I don't have, I don't have a, I don't have an appointment today, so I can go do something else. Where, if you run your business like a business, you're in at eight or nine o'clock in the morning, you work till five or six o'clock, and you have goals that are set by by your bigger goal that have to be accomplished every day that leads you to your bigger goal, and so you know. There is there is no practitioner of real estate that should ever say to themselves, I, ha- I don't have an appointment today, so I'm off. So we're and back to that structure we were talking about in the beginning to, of the book. Absolutely. It goes back to, you know, am I disciplined? If I'm disciplined and I have a good goal that's both family-oriented, um, if I have a family that's family-oriented, spouse-oriented, children-oriented, um, life-oriented, where I can, I, can, I can retire someday, all those things then I'm going to have a business that's sustainable and someday maybe even be able to sell it. Right, right, right. So um, um, let me think here. I mean, this is really, really good stuff today. It's it's, it's going to make a good chapter good. for you. And, um, oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. 
what are you seeing, O wise sage, as you look down the pike the next year or two? Or do you even want to venture any predictions? I, you know, I don't want the book to maybe be timed like this, you know, where, but um, whenever you start to see consumer confidence come back up, even though um, if you really study history, the Great Depression only became, we only came out of the Great Depression because of World War II. Right. And so um, if we look at the Great Recession, um, one of the things we have to we have to look at is are millennials getting jobs, which that is up right now. They are getting jobs. So the workforce is changing to allow them to get into the workforce. So that's good. Um, they're, uh, the consumer confidence on on wanting to buy in real estate, um, NAR does two studies. They do a big study every year. Uh, the first one is um, profiles of buyers and sellers, and that's an annual one that they do, and that's really a good survey. And that gives you that their confidence is back. And then, then they did a millennial, or they did a generational one, and the generational one said the same thing. So I think that we're going to see um, both uh, baby boomers that are transitioning to smaller places uh, and the younger people going towards smaller houses too. So we're going to actually have a group headbutting each other uh, to get into those smaller homes that are starting to come up. Um, well, and that increases demand. And that increases demand. You know, right now, new home developers... That's like bread and butter homes, or yeah. are you talking like smaller condos, or... I'm talking about the whole the whole enchilada, because you're going to have a whole bunch of different users, all at different levels, that want different lifestyles. It's going to be a lifestyle issue, too. The condo will be a lifestyle issue versus something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be... I, 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 I just did a remodel. I spent a substantial amount of money in the office because I have the confidence that the market's changing. I, ch- I changed my office to a millennial-style office um, where uh, I have uh, two big work stations that sit 10 people. And in the middle of that has um, uh, power power sources. That's the way coffee shops are now. Yeah, I went, to, uh, I went to the same philosophy on that. I was able to go to IKEA. I was able to find conference tables that were actually designed that way. Uh, right. And I went to IKEA intentionally because one of my agents that is going to buy my business someday is a Generation X. And she said, well, I bought my stuff down there. I said, let's go down and look at it. She came back with one. I said, let's go, let's go buy a couple more. And so we were able to adjust the office to more of a millennial look. And I built, right. I built some private offices for the older agents. But, yeah, I mean, it's a whole different mindset. Yeah, yeah, cool. But yes, I think... I think we're, you know. So you're not, bullish. We're not, yeah, we're not out of the woods, but we're 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 better than we were. And yeah. I'm always about, it's always about consumer confidence. You know, um, right. I read um, I read what other states are doing, and our neighbor state to the to uh, the west, California, um, is always bullish. But you know, their statistical data is proving that that to be accurate. So um, just study. You know, yeah, you, you know, you you just you don't live in a bubble. But you don't live in artificial, um, ar- artificially uh, done because you're listening to people that are in your own industry. I try to listen to everybody else that's not in our industry. I think if you're willing to um, flex and adapt, there's always money to be made in real estate. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I think I mentioned, I don't know, when we started working together. 
my best friend, her husband's in real estate, and he's done very, very well through this whole thing because he really focused a great deal on investors coming in from California. Yes. You know. Um, now he's not doing that quite as much because, you know, the market's coming back and there's more locally and everything. Right. But, I mean, he was able to put up some good years during yeah, a absolutely. time when a lot of people were getting out of the industry. Absolutely. So, anyway, good. So, any closing thoughts before we wrap up today? No, nope, we're good. Okay, good. Good, good. I feel good, comfortable good. about everything, yeah. Good, good. Okay. All right. So let's set up our next uh, meeting. Okay. If we can. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm looking at the week after the Super Bowl, like uh, Monday the second or Tuesday the third. The third. Uh, both of those look good right now. Okay. So how about if we do Tuesday the third at the same time? Um, that would be tough because I do my sales meeting. I could do it after. Okay. So what would the when would like you a, be like uh like ten thirty eleven? You'll be back in the office. Let's do eleven. Okay. So that way you're back in the office and everything. And is it helpful for me to send you a little text, like a little I love know, the, reminder? I love the text reminders, those are great. Okay, great. Okay, good. Yeah. I will do that. All righty. So we're set for Tuesday, February third at eleven AM. Yep. Okay. Sounds All right, perfect. good. Another great meeting and Thank you again. another and chapter. I, and I hope I, uh, I hope uh, my my apology was heartfelt, and I hope you, I hope you took. No, I, I I definitely heard that, and uh, it's good. It's all cool. Yeah. So, um, uh, in a couple weeks, I'm going to be meeting with some more instructors, and they're going to actually be in town here. So maybe I could set something up for you, for you to meet with them at cocktails. Yeah, when you when you know more about the dates when that's going to happen, yeah. um, let me know and we can put something together. That would be great. I appreciate okay. it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll make sure that uh, you're invited to the table. These these guys are fun. You'll, okay, you'll, cool. You'll be able to get some. You know, I think you get some business out of it. Okay, cool. Okay. Okay, cool. All you right. know me, the dog with the bone. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. All right. Take care. Have a great day. You too. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.